Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. This is the Bay Curious Podcast, where we answer a new question about the Bay Area each week. I'm your host, Olivia Allen-Price, and joining me today is reporter Ryan Levy. Hey, Olivia. So today we're talking about the Castro District in San Francisco. Right. So when you think of the Castro, a few things might come to mind. For the history buffs, probably Harvey Milk. Every gay person must come out. For others, maybe gay bars. Rainbows. Personally, I'm a big fan of the Castro Theater. Ooh, that's a good one. I really just think of it as one of the most important gay neighborhoods in the world. Absolutely. But for this week's question asker, something felt a little different the last time that he was there. What's happening with the Castro lately? The last time we were there, it really seemed to have changed a lot. This is Bob Gerard. He lives in Southern California with his partner, and they've been going to the Castro for years. I asked him what was different. Well, it just didn't seem to be as gay as it used to be. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey there, it's Olivia Allen Price, host of Bay Curious, the podcast. KQED Podcasts wants to thank listeners like you, whose support makes this podcast possible. If you want to help us continue to make great content, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org podcasts. And thanks. Today, we unravel the question, is the Castro becoming less gay? And... Are there new Castros popping up in other cities? To start, I headed to the Castro. My first stop was outside Twin Peaks Tavern. There are two giant rainbow flags above my head, and an even bigger one is across the street. There are just a few of the many, many plastered throughout the neighborhood. It's like the rainbow threw up on this neighborhood, right? That's Don Romesburg. He's a professor at Sonoma State and an LGBTQ historian. He first moved to the Castro back in the 1990s after college. To have a place in San Francisco, in the world, (laughs) where gay people can come together as a community and feel like they truly belong and that there's no real sense of stigma, that's what made the Castro very special for me as a young guy in my 20s. But the Castro has changed since he first moved in. It's gone from being a gay village to being a tourist destination for people around the world who want to come here and experience a little bit of the gay. (laughs) One of the most common theories behind that change is something called the post-gay thesis. And that's the one that says that there's a lot more acceptance all around the country and gay people uh, make other choices. They don't need to live in gay neighborhoods anymore because they're accepted elsewhere. Romesburg says this is part of what's happening in the Castro, but it's not the whole story. 
I think that's a little too optimistic. I think it's too shiny and progressy. <laughs> he says there's something else going on. Many gay people can't afford to live in the rapidly gentrifying neighborhood. So when the first wave of gay men, and it was mostly gay white men, moved to the Castro in the 1970s, they made it their own. They restored the old working class Victorians, they opened up shops and restaurants. By the mid to late 1990s, the Castro had become a popular neighborhood for straight people too. That led to uh, the second wave of gentrification, where what we've really seen since then is a pushing out of a lot of LGBT people and a lack of affordability so that younger uh, LGBT people and more diverse LGBT people can't move into the neighborhood. Average rent in the neighborhood today is close to $4,000 a month. And buying a house there, it's going to cost you around $3 million. Romesburg knows this all too well. He and his partner and their young daughter were forced out of the Castro apartment they were renting a few years ago. There was absolutely no way we could afford anywhere else remotely close to the Castro. They ended up a 20-minute drive away on San Francisco's west side. But he says he knows of gay men who've ended up in Portland, Phoenix, L.A., or Palm Springs. That close-knit community of gay dads and friends they'd built in the Castro became disconnected. A community, you know, is woven together like a tapestry. And as you pull out the threads of it, the community becomes much more frayed. Uh, I think of the Castro uh, in that way. I, I feel like as it becomes more of a global tourist destination and less of a community, uh, it loses some of its heart and some of its soul. Now, Ryan, Rumsberg says that younger and more diverse people aren't able to move into the community because of those high housing costs. Why is that such a problem for the continuance of the Castro? I mean, that's really how you replenish a community. You have a lot of older gay men who really built up the Castro, and a lot of them a lot of them died uh, from AIDS, and a lot of them now are being priced out and can't afford to live there. And so if these younger, diverse uh, queer people can't afford to move in, then you're going to see this real change in the neighborhood that Romesburg is talking about. And for people who are either leaving the Castro or who might not be able to move in but might have moved in in the past, where are those people living now? So our question asker, Bob Gerard, he had that same question. He and his partner are thinking of moving up to the Bay Area, but they don't really want to live in San Francisco. Uh, they do, though, want to live somewhere where they're not going to be the only gay couple around. It's not necessary that it, need, that it be a high percentage. I just like to see other gay people out in public once in a while and, and to have more social opportunities. San Francisco still has the highest percent of same-sex couples in the state, according to the latest data from the census. But it's not the only option anymore. Right now we are in the Santa Fe neighborhood of North Oakland. I kept hearing that there was this mass exodus of gay people moving from San Francisco to Oakland. So I went there with Taylor Sublett. He's a realtor who lives and works in Oakland, and he's gay and has a lot of gay clients who have made the jump to the East Bay in recent years. Today, he's driving his friend and client Miles Downs around to look at houses. And I asked Downs why he's looking at Oakland. Price. I mean, it's close enough to the city. It's, it's as close to the city as you can get without being in the city. And it's affordable. There's no real gay neighborhood in Oakland where you can count on living around a bunch of other LGBTQ people. But Downs at least wants to know that he won't be the only one wherever he ends up. Let's see. Open up this graph. Uh, what does it look like around here? 
Outside of one of the houses cool. on the tour, Downs opens up Scruff. It's a gay dating app on his phone. Nearby. His phone fills with little square pictures of gay guys all around us. Like, you know, this person's probably within 500 feet. 400 feet, yeah. He scrolls through dozens, maybe hundreds of photos, all within a few miles of where we're standing. And so if you saw this in a place with this, be like, yeah, okay, this is, you know, has kind of the, the requisite. Oh, yeah, this would be great. <laughs> I'm not expecting to get this high a concentration where I'm looking at the moment. Well, Down says it would be great to live near other gay people. He just doesn't think it's as critical as it once was. Now we don't really need that as much. We can go and live in the middle of a predominantly straight community and people are pretty cool with us and it's no big deal. So it sounds like you're having this exodus from the Castro and people are finding, you know, new homes elsewhere. Is anywhere sort of, um, is, is, is there anywhere that the community is coming together in a really similar way to the Castro? So there's not necessarily another Castro out there. I mean, that's kind of the singular place in San Francisco that I don't think you're really going to replicate anywhere. Um, but there are other places that have this growing queer community that are trying to do something with it and have it be more than just, you know, people on dating apps and have, you know, a physical location and a real community that comes together. One of those places is in Santa Rosa. Elise Cottle and her partner Jess weren't trying to make any big statement when they opened up Brew in downtown Santa Rosa almost three years ago. They just wanted to run a nice place that served some good local coffee, craft beer, and food to their neighbors. For us, our vision was really kind of the old school coffee house feel. We have comfy couches, board games. But something changed just a few months after they opened up shop. An historic victory for gay rights today. The Supreme Court ruled that the Constitution guarantees the right for same-sex couples to marry no matter where they are. We put the flag out when gay marriage became legal as a celebration. A big rainbow flag greeting anyone walking past Brew. So that's kind of morphed into a lot of our identity here over the last couple of years. All of a sudden, queer folks in Santa Rosa started gravitating to Brew. The local queer professional group started meeting there, and the local queer youth group did the same thing. It's just started fitting a need that clearly people wanted. And we didn't really have to do much of anything but just be open to it and be willing. The people I talked to at Brew said Santa Rosa has a lot of gender diversity, too. In October, Brew hosted a big party for a bunch of transgender kids. So that was a lot of young, young trans kids that want a space as well and to feel really safe in an environment, especially right now with what's going on um, with some laws. And we love that Brew feels good for everybody to be at. Everybody is feeling good tonight at Brew's monthly queer DJ night, including Cordelia Southworth. She's wearing a black t-shirt and cat ears for the Halloween-themed party, and she's one of several trans people here tonight. She's originally from San Francisco, and she's been looking to move back there to find a bigger, more active queer community. But I'm really enjoying seeing what's happening up here now that it's starting to come together and be more visible. So, I don't know, it might, uh, it might liven up around here. It might not look like the Castro, and it might never look like the Castro. But they're definitely building something here, a new and different kind of queer community that they can be proud of. Reporter Ryan Levy, thank you so much for the story. Thank you, Olivia. Thanks, as always, to our question asker, Bob Gerard, And we wish you the very best in your housing hunt. New episodes of the Bay Curious podcast will be available one day early on the TuneIn app. 
you can download and listen on TuneIn for free. I'll share a link to our TuneIn page on my Twitter account. Follow me at Price. Have a great week. Hi, Big Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest, and I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.